Anybody, uh, anybody know, remember, like Bob Newhart? Uh, yeah. Bar- Barbara's laughing. She she's on board. Uh, that's I know that's before a lot of y'all's time, but he's a comedian and he had he did skit comedy. He had shows on TV, and uh, he's got one skit that he's. There's one of his more famous ones and he where he's a counselor. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Lady lady comes in and she says she's got the she's got a, a terrible fear of being buried alive in a box. And uh, and so he says, oh, so are you saying you're claustrophobic? And she's like, Well yeah, I guess so. Let me read what he says to her. <clears throat> he says, All right. Well let's go, Catherine. I'm gonna say two words to you right now. I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them into your life. She says, should I write them down? And he said, no. If it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. We find most people can remember them. She says, okay. He says, are you ready? She says, yes, I'm ready. He says, okay, here they are. Stop it. And she said, stop it? He says, yes, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. Stop it. And she says, so, so what are you saying? And he says, you know, it's funny. I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. She says, so I should just stop it? He said, there you go. I mean, you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds frightening. She said, well, it is. He said, then stop it. She said, I can't. I mean, he's like, no, 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 no. We don't go there. Just stop it. And then at the end of it, it goes on quite a while. And at the end, he says, all right, here are are ten words then. Stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box. (laughs) Yeah, life strategies counseling. <laughs> Plan for success right there. <laughs> Stop it! Anybody ever say that to your kids? Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! I like it when there's different like inflections that just stop it! Stop it! You know, you just can't figure out which way is best. And you know what? It sounds great, doesn't it? Stop it. It's pretty simple. But a lot of things aren't that simple, are they? Let me throw a word out for you that is probably not that simple. Anxiety. I'm kind of making a living on anxiety at this point in my life. I can't count the number of people who have ended up with a diagnosis at the therapy office of generalized anxiety, unspecified anxiety, because we're all dealing with it. Stop it! No, I'm just, it just doesn't work, right? Just stop it. What if we could, though? What if, what if we could stop it? Would your life be any different if you didn't have to deal with anxiety? Sounds good, doesn't it? Maybe. Just maybe. 
We're going to read today, again, the same passage we read last week, but we're going to focus on the, the last part of this passage, which last week we focused on the first part of the passage. <clears throat> and this is one of those, in my mind, <clears throat> high holy hills. I mean, this is... I'm not adequate for this passage today. Not that I'm really adequate for any, but this is a Romans 8 type passage. This is a a Psalm 23, Isaiah 6. This is one of those. Um, And it's great, great, great news. And I hope that we can receive it today by the power of the Spirit. If you would, stand with us as we listen to these awesome, incredible words from the mouth of God Himself. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light, but if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness! No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these words that are so much more than just words. There is power here. There is hope and grace here. And I pray that by the power of your Spirit, we would know this hope and this grace, experience it, and live it out. And God, if there is someone here who does not know this hope, we pray that your Spirit would convict them of their sins and show them their need for a Savior and show them Jesus in this passage. We ask it in his name. Amen. You may be seated. A lot to cover today. And we do want to remember where we've been in Matthew. We are studying the Gospel of Matthew, which is presenting Jesus as the King. And the King has some really, really interesting things to say today, wouldn't you say, after reading that? Um, Last week we looked at 19 through 24 and talked about treasures. Today, as we start here in verse 25... We're talking about something else. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food 
and the body more than clothing. So, we start the passage with what word? Therefore. And when we see therefore, what do we ask? What's it there for? Well, it always points us backwards. Therefores always point us backwards to what was said just prior to it. And that's what we talked about last week in dealing with where not to and where to store up treasures. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on the earth where it can all be destroyed or taken, but rather do store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where you can't lose anything. And we talked about hearts and eyes and lamps. And ultimately came down to Jesus saying that you can't serve two masters, which ultimately was revealed to be about not being able to serve God and money. And that brings us to the therefore in our passage today. So, Jesus is pointing us back to treasures and hearts and eyes and lamps and masters and God and money when He says therefore. So why? What's this therefore, therefore? Well, so much of what we're going to look at today, as you could probably tell when we read the passage, is about being anxious. Here in verse 25 it says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Verse 27 asks is being, if, if being anxious can extend your life. Verse 28 talks about being anxious about clothing. Verse 31 connects anxiety with food and drink and clothes again. And verse 34 talks about being anxious about tomorrow. So there's obviously a direct connection. Listen to me. Woo, this is big. There's obviously a direct connection to serving God or money and today's passage which is focused on anxiety. So get that straight. We pile anxiety upon ourselves by trying to live in service to God and to money. We don't want to forget last week because it's the launching pad into this week. We bring anxiety into our lives as we try to serve God and money. It's imperative that you see that up front because we're not going to spend a lot of time there. We talked about that last week. But know that it is connected to so much of our anxiety today and every day. It's imperative to establish that up front. You cannot serve two masters. You can't serve God in money. Therefore, do not be anxious. So he's saying, we're going to settle that. Understand that you can't serve God and money, therefore, don't be anxious. And it's important to not skip what is directly after that, therefore, and before the command to not be anxious, namely what? Therefore, what does it say? It's, it's up here. Therefore, I tell you, I tell you. Who's speaking? This is Jesus. This is God in the flesh. This is the Creator, the Sustainer, the Lord, the King. As we said, Matthew's been so apt to portray Him. And Jesus says, therefore, since you can't serve both God and money, therefore I tell you, He is telling us these things. This is not psychobabble. This is not pop culture speak. This is not the next new thing. This is the words, these are the words of God Himself. 
Therefore I tell you, and then he says, Do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now that's a lot, isn't it? Let's define what it means, since we're going to be talking about this a lot today. What it means to be anxious, so we can figure out what it means to not do that. How we can stop it, okay? The Greek word for anxiety or anxious, it's what we translate as be anxious, is one Greek word. It's merimnate, and it literally means to brood. The expanded definition is to worry, to be troubled with cares, to look out for, to seek to promote one's interests or caring or providing for. Now let's flesh that out. Jesus says not to be troubled with cares, not to look out for what? Your life. What you will eat, what you will drink, or what you'll put on your body. Don't fret or worry about your life. Your food, your water, your clothes. And really that's pretty comprehensive, isn't it? That's the basics. The very core of what we pretty much do every day. We wake up, we live. We eat, we drink, we put on our clothes. And whatever clothes we put on kind of is based on what we're going to go do. And remember we prayed back in the disciples' prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Here's our daily bread. Our life. Our food, our water, our clothes, what we're doing every day. And we count our money. What's that? We count our money. And we count our money, yeah. You know, living, eating, drinking, wearing clothes, just your everyday life. And remember now, he doesn't say, don't do these things but rather don't be anxious about them. Don't brood. Don't worry about it. That's a different tone than last week's passage, which was primarily about what? Treasuring up treasures. Piling up and hoarding stuff. That was about our wants, our excess. But today, today is about life. Food, water, clothes. You can't get any more basic than that. This is about necessities, your gotta-haves. You may never see treasure, even though most of us in this room are wealthier than most of the people in the world, literally. You may not see treasures, but we all have to live. We all have to eat, drink, and wear clothes. Yes, you do have to wear clothes. But Jesus says, don't sweat it. Don't be anxious about it. Stop it! Don't worry about it. Don't let it be anything that gets you worked up. And you know, if it was just food, drink, and clothes, I'd be willing to say, okay, yeah, I get that. I'm not going to worry about it. I just won't sweat it. But read it again. Do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus is saying, ultimately, this is about your life. Your physical existence. And Jesus says not to be anxious about your physical existence. Don't worry about your life. And some of you are going, oh, good. I don't, it's good. I'll just quit school, quit my job. No, 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 no. No, 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 no. Stop that. We ain't going to do that. The Bible's clear that 
We are to work and we are to provide for our own. So this is not about quitting everything and becoming a monk and moving into a monastery. This is about living your life in the day-to-day, in the everyday, and you're eating and drinking and working and clothing and living in a way where you're not anxious about that life. So Jesus says not to be anxious about your life. Well, that's a little tougher than food and clothes and water, isn't it? Don't be anxious about your life because... Now listen, that, that's a big... Because your life is about more than food, water, and clothes. That's really what he's saying. Don't be anxious about your life because your life is about more than your physical existing and surviving. Now get a hold of that. We're going to talk about that a lot in application. Your life is about more than your day-to-day living. Oh. Does that communicate? Are you hearing what I'm saying there? Your life is about more than your day-to-day existence. Your life is more about more than just getting through the day. I feel that sound like Stephen Chris Chapman, right? There's more to this life than living and dying. More than just trying to make it through the day. More to this life. More than these, what is it? More than these eyes alone can see. There's more than this life alone can be. That's what Jesus is saying. There's more than just scraping by and getting to Friday. Some of you are like, Friday, I work weekends, man. I hear you. I did the same thing for a long time. Your life, hear me church, your life Christian is about more than the here and now. Your life is about more than the basic necessities. Your life is more than just existing. Do you know that? Because let me tell you what, I feel the crunch every day. What's next? What have I got to do? What's on my calendar? What's my appointments? What's for lunch? Lunch. Who gets lunch, right? And that's what engulfs our thoughts. That's what pervades what we look at, what we think about, what we do. And we fall into a mindset of being anxious about our lives. And Jesus says, don't do that. There's more. How can we not quote C.S. Lewis here? A lot of y'all have heard this before. If you've heard it, hear it again. Listen to me. C.S. Lewis says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. Let me just make it through the day and I'll be fine. If I can just get past this test, I'll be fine. Oh, if I can just get through this project at work, oh, and just get it over with, I can just exist. We are far too easily pleased. We are so, and this is Christians, the children of God, we are so concerned with the humdrum, the minutia, the right in front of our faces. But church life is about more than this body. 
these desires and these needs. And is this not the same thing Jesus was saying in the treasure section last week? Don't store up treasures here. Store up treasures in heaven where life is eternal. And here today Jesus is saying, you worry about temporal stuff and life is more than this. You're missing true life because you're consumed with the here and now and how you're going to make it here. Don't be anxious about eating and drinking and clothing. Life is more than that. But wait, how do we not worry about our everyday lives and the needs that we have in them? We've got responsibilities, we to do things, it's true. Well, Jesus is far from done. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So how do we deal with anxiety? We don't stop it. We look at the birds. What? (laughs) Who knew, right? Turns out the solution to our anxiety is birds. Some of you are already looking on Amazon to find a cage because you're like, I need to look at birds if I'm going to fix my anxiety. Maybe that works for you. I don't know. I'm only half kidding. Jesus goes directly from telling you to not worry about your life, your food, your drink, and your clothes to giving an example of why you shouldn't worry about those things. Look, he said. Look. And you can just see him there on the hillside, Sermon on the Mount, all these people gathered around. And just imagine Jesus going, look at the birds. And they're like, you know, they're ducking and covering because they're like, what? Something going on here that I need to know about? He directs their gaze to birds. Why birds? Well, he points out that birds don't do the burdensome worrying and work of growing their own nor storing up their own food. But God feeds them. True enough, I guess. But why should this lessen my anxiety? And this is so big. Because God takes care of birds. And you, we, us, me, are of more value than birds. You say, well, duh. Don't say, well, duh. Think about it. If God cares about and provides for and feeds birds... Why are you wasting your time worrying about food and physical existence? Because you're worth more than birds. And you're still going, yeah, okay, I'm not, not, what, okay. Hear it. You're worth more than birds. And that's some of the best news you're going to hear today. You are worth more than birds. Connect it with He who said, feeds the birds. Who was it that feeds the birds? It's not just God. Who feeds the birds? Who feeds the birds? Who's Heavenly Father? Hmm. Does that matter at all? Does it matter who it is that's feeding the birds? You bet it matters. He's your Father. He's your Heavenly Father. 
And He feeds the birds. And you're worth more than birds to Him. It's not just God. It's your Father. You want to know probably the single greatest answer to your anxiety. It's understanding that it's your Father who cares for you. It's your Father that feeds the birds. And it's your Father that understands and knows and shows that you are worth much more than many birds. Sinclair Ferguson says, and I think rightly, that the key word in chapter 6 is Father. How can I lessen my anxiety? I go to Daddy. And I give Him my cares and I trust that He's going to provide for me. I don't know if I can make my bills, Daddy. And I'm scared. When I fear my faith will fail, Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, He will hold me fast. Because He's my Father. Didn't Jesus teach us to pray this way? Our Father who is in heaven? Why is that important? Because He's your Father. And He cares. The key here to defeating anxiety about our food is to know that God is our Father and that our Father even feeds the birds. And our Father esteems us of more worth than birds. Real quick, let me take a diversion real quick. There's a movement in our culture to humanize animals. You're worth more than an animal. You're not just an animal. You're worth more than birds. And it's a shame that we've got to emphasize that, but here we are. Your father even feeds the birds. And your father esteems you of more worth than birds. So if he feeds the birds and and we are worth more than birds, listen, our father will feed us. Our father will sustain us. God is the creator and sustainer of birds and he is our father who cares so much about us. Look at the birds. Know that your father feeds them and know that you are worth more to him than birds. That'll help your anxiety. I promise you. That's not a professional opinion. That's a creator opinion. Do you care about being cared about? Do you know that your father cares about birds and so will take care of you since you're worth more than they are? Verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So Jesus moves from birds to a little bit of obvious, simple truth. He asks, basically, what good does your anxiety do anyway? Can any of you, by being anxious, add one hour to your life? The answer is no. That's the obvious answer. It does not and will not work. And actually, plenty of research shows the exact opposite. Anxiety does not add to your life or your quality of life, but instead takes from your life and your quality of life. 
It's not the quantity of your years, if not the quantity of your years, it at least takes away the quality of your years. Anxiety leads to a slew of physical problems, headaches, high blood pressure, heart problems, strokes, and on and on and on and on. It can make your hair fall out. I'm not saying that's what happened. <laughs> so being anxious will not add a single hour to your lifespan. But that's what we think when we entertain anxiety, isn't it? We worry and we fret about our lives, hoping we can figure out a way to win, maybe to expand what we want or desire. We're looking for and worry about a way to beat Father Time, to find a fountain of youth, to have it good and easy. All without diet or exercise, by the way. And as we are worried about these things, as we are anxious about these things, we literally worry ourselves sick trying to do these things. And just let a test come back inconclusive or questionable from the doctor, and then what do we do? The panic button is hit, and we're not just anxiety anymore. We are full-blown panicked. Let me tell you where anxiety lives. Anxiety lives in a little town called What If. And it's a metropolis. What if? What if that test comes back negative? What if I've got cancer? What if I've got this diagnosis? What if? What if? What if? What if? What if? What if? And all of a sudden, we're out in orbit somewhere. And we are worried about our lives. And we think we're trying to preserve our lives, but we're really killing ourselves. We get anxious. Like that's going to help. Jesus is saying, why waste your time on anxiety? It's not going to help. It's actually going to hurt you. So stop it. (laughs) Easier said than done, I know. But we're not done yet, okay? We've looked at life and food. Now what about clothing? Verses 28 and 29. I'm sure everybody's all concerned about clothing. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Anybody change clothes four times this morning? Six times? Eight times? This week, maybe? (laughs) Uh, We stress about clothes, some of us more than others, some of us less than others, I promise. I don't think about it much. I'm I'm not real worried about having clothes. Now, as my kingdom expands, I'm a little worried about finding clothes that fit. But I don't really sweat clothes. I, I I don't worry about it. But I guarantee you there were those standing on that hillside that day with Jesus who were worried about if they were going to have clothes to cover themselves in a subsistence type of living. Maybe they had one garment and it was wearing out. Would you be worried if you had one garment and it was wearing out? I'd be worried. And Jesus says, don't. Don't worry about it. Now listen to me. Hear me say this very clear. Jesus is not aloof. Jesus is not unconcerned with the cares of this world. He just knows the answer to them. Okay? There were people there that day who were in threadbare garments wondering what's going to happen when this one wears out. And just the same, Jesus says, don't be anxious about it. 
And he went to birds when he dealt with food. Now he deals with flowers regarding clothes. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. And this wasn't a specific flower. It's just all the flowers you see in a field. Consider how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Common, everyday flowers didn't scour the internet for hours looking for the newest styles or fashions or a deal on them. And those flowers didn't work hard making their own array themselves. They didn't toil nor spin. But not even Solomon, the picture of wealth, honor, and privilege, was as finely attired as that little flower. Whatever Solomon covered his body with, and it could have very well been golden fabric, whatever he covered his body with, he paled in comparison to a dandelion. And however hard he worked or however much money he spent for his clothes, they weren't as lovely as a flower. Guys, flowers are beautiful. And God, your Father, made them so. God ordained that flowers would be lovely. They don't have to try to cover themselves in beauty. They're just beautiful. No worries, no fears, no anxieties. Just beautiful coverings covering the countryside. So, put the pieces together. If God so faithfully and excessively covers flowers, just common everyday flowers, won't He cover you too? I mean, really? Do we really not understand the concern and love that God has for us? No, ma'am. No. I need you to sit down. I'm speaking right now, okay? All right? Thank you. Do we really not understand the concern and love that God has for us? Do we really not know that God knows what we need? Do we really think we care more about what happens to us than God does? Birds trust Him. Flowers bloom at His command. Can He take care of us with the clothing that we need? Can He? Read on. Verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will He not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? It's not just flowers that teach us lessons we need, but even the grass. The grass testifies of God's care for us. Flowers, grass, just growing and doing their thing, all sustained and ordained by God. And that grass, which these Jews would use as fuel in their fires for their ovens, so fleeting, so cheap, so common, so seemingly pointless, shows us that God has plans for the most inane things in His world. So if He has plans for grass and takes care of grass, won't He clothe you? Of course He will. Now again, it's not just about clothing. This is about provision. This is about being able to understand that God's going to take care of us. And He's going to take care of us much more than He takes care of grass. Much more than flowers. Much more. You are worth much more to Him than birds and flowers and grass. Not just like the birds or the flowers or the grass, but much more. And this shoots anxiety about basic necessities like food and clothes in the foot. Much more. His love for, His concern for, His provision for, 
His work for you is much more than these common everyday items. Your Father, God, cares much more for you. Rest in that. And Jesus levels this information toward His disciples, particularly by calling them, O you of little faith. Now that can come off as a direct insult or an attack, and I'm sure it's a good solid jab, but I think it's just at least an honest assessment. And He would say it to us today too. What are you worried about? Your faith is small. And we're just saying, right, when I fear my faith will fail. We are they, they are we, and we have little faith. So it's just an honest assessment. And it brings to our attention where our main problem lies in our battle with anxiety. It's in our faith. Amen. What's your faith in? Who's your faith in? Yourself? Your employer, your student loan, social security. Merle Haggard said your so-called social security. Listen to me. Anxiety is chiefly a faith issue. You say, well, I got chemical problems. Well, maybe you do. And I think some of the answers to some of those chemical problems is faith. If I had the faith that God cared and provided for me much more than birds and flowers and grass, listen to me, I would not be anxious. I would know that I am treasured by God who will not let me do without what I need in order to do His will. Look at verses 31 and 32. Therefore do not be anxious saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So therefore, since God cares so much more for us and will take care of us, do not be anxious. Stop it! And don't show your anxiety by saying, which is often the manifestation of our anxiety, what we say, the inward anxiety comes out through our mouths so often. We talk about what we're anxious about. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What am I going to wear? And Jesus says, don't do that for that's how unbelievers act. That's what the pagans do. That's how those without God live. The Gentiles, those who aren't God's people, seek after all these physical, earthly, bodily things and they're anxious about them. And listen, they don't have anyone to provide for them. But you do. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He's not unaware that we have needs. And as your Father, He wants to meet them and He wants you to rest in the knowledge that He knows you need them. And if He's your Father and He knows you need them, He will not withhold them from you. Listen to me, Christian. Your Father is going to meet your needs. Don't lose your religion over things like food and drink and clothes and your everyday life. Rest in your Father's care for you. Rejoice in His ability and His desire to meet those needs. You need to hear that again. Rejoice in His ability and His desire to meet those needs. So then what should we do? Verse 33. But 
Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. This verse, y'all, it's popular, it's well-known, it's on pillows and pictures and shirts, and it should be. We quote it a lot, and we should. And found here in this glorious context, it's a rule for life. It's a roadmap to a life more abundant and wonderful, abundant wonderful, than what we're normally used to. It's a direct command and a powerful antidote to anxiety. Don't be anxious. Know that your Father knows your needs. Don't be anxious, but... This is in direct opposition to anxiety. Don't be anxious, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Oh my goodness. This is so much better than stop it. So much more powerful than a list of emotional exercises. This is the answer. Guys, this is it. This is it. Don't be anxious, but... Seek the kingdom of God as a matter of first importance. Seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness as of that which is of most, first, best importance. You want to not be anxious? Seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. You say, well, I kind of am addicted to my anxiety. You can go that way if you want to, but there's a better way. There's a different way to go. The word seek means more than just looking for something. It means to seek in order to find out by thinking, meditating, reasoning. It means to inquire into, to seek after, to aim at, to strive after, to require, to crave, to demand something from someone. Seek means to make something the most important. Crave as a matter of first importance the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Again, is this not what Jesus taught us to pray? Your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. God's kingdom, God's righteousness. Your kingdom, your will. See why we should pray according to the disciples' prayer? This is the answer to anxiety. So let me ask you. Now listen. Be honest with yourself. Is God's kingdom and His righteousness what you crave more than anything else? More than food. More than your drink, your clothes. More than your very own life. If you're like me, you probably have to answer no to all the above. And hence, so much of the anxiety that you and I feel. We're serving two masters. Or better yet, we're trying to. Because we can't. And it causes us a lot of anxiety. I'm anxious because I want my stuff. I'm anxious because my kingdom is threatened. I'm anxious because my kingdom is falling apart. My earthly treasures are being taken from me. My life is not healthy like it used to be. I'm trying to serve two masters. My money's failing me. My life is failing me. And it makes me anxious. 
But Jesus is saying that if I seek God's kingdom and His righteousness first, then so long, anxiety. Doggone it, folks. Listen to Jesus. He knows what He's talking about. God's kingdom is going to come. God's will is going to be done. So if that is what I'm seeking, I cannot lose. Nothing can be taken from me. Listen to me. God will not suffer loss. God does not and cannot change. My treasures in heaven cannot be destroyed or taken away. So seek that. And while this is true and very good news, it's not all. Look at the end of the verse. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things that you're worried about will be added to you. So all those things you were anxious about, those things you wondered if they would be there, they will be added to you if you have your priorities straight. Your Father knows that you need these things, so if you seek His way first, His righteousness first, He'll take care of everything that you need. And you don't believe that! And I don't believe that. I'm not trying to beat you up. I am trying to make sure that I am passionately communicating that your Father cares about you and you do not have to live with anxiety. You don't have to. You choose to. No, I don't. I would never choose. You choose to. Because you're not seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness first. It's a matter of priorities. First! And then trusting that all this stuff will be added to you like a train behind you. And again, I struggle with this every day myself. I get it. You're not alone in your worry and your fear and your anxiety. You're not alone, but you don't have to stay alone, cordoned off from everybody, worried sick of what's going to happen when you leave here today, worried sick about who's going to sit beside you back there in the lunchroom. And that's how we live. And you don't have to. Seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness first and all these things will be added to you. Do you live a life that is concerned with God's kingdom and His righteousness as of first importance? Trusting God to provide what you need for your life or are you providing for your life and hoping that the God stuff gets tacked on after you get what you want and need? Are you anxious? What is the source of that anxiety? Could it be that your choice of kingdoms has been wrong? Or maybe you're serving the wrong master and your master is mastering you, making you all the more anxious as a result. One more verse before we finish up. Man, it's a good one. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. One last therefore as we end our passage today. Since there's more to life than your physical needs, since you have the option of seeking God's kingdom and trusting that all you need will be added to you, therefore, stop it. Again, I'm only half kidding about the stop it thing. No, since all this is true, therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Now, I mentioned that Anxiety lives in what if. And if I were to pinpoint the object of most of my anxiety, it would be about the future. 
tomorrow or the next day or the next thing coming up that's got you worried. The future is home to many, if not most, of my anxieties. Anxiety lives in the what if in the realm of the unknown. And here, Jesus says not to worry about tomorrow. Does He say don't prepare for tomorrow? No. Not at all. That's not what He's saying. He says not to worry about it. Because tomorrow will be anxious for itself. You have time to be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow. Your focus needs to be on today, which Jesus realistically says, has enough trouble of its own. I love that. Jesus is so practical and understanding. He knows that life is full of trouble and sorrow and worry and anxiety, but He also points out that if you're fixed on the future, you'll miss the battle in the present. And don't do that. Seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness now. And it's always now, right? Do it now! And when tomorrow becomes today, do it then. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Indeed. But don't be anxious. Seek the right kingdom. Serve the right master. That's a rock solid plan. So let's apply this. And this is, guys, this is a mammoth of a text. And I have not scratched the surface. We could spend so much more time in this passage and in the application section that we're about to go into. It would be Listen to me. It would be very, very wise to revisit this passage often. Praying through it and evaluating your life and your priorities in light of it. Don't be done with this passage today. But for today, since that's what we've got to worry about, let's look at what this passage says about how to deal with our anxiety because that's the point of the text. Three main items, and I didn't alliterate them. Word, Father, more. Word, Father, more. Not Father, more. Don't call anybody on earth your father. You have one father. Word, Father, more. One, word. The best weapon against anxiety is belief in the promises of God. And that may seem like a very churchy thing to say, but it is true. It's true. John Piper said, anxiety is rooted in unbelief. Now in our day and time, it's easy to say that we've come a long way in understanding and treating anxiety and there's neural pathways and there's synapses and there's chemical. And those things are true. But some people would say that this, that anxiety is rooted in unbelief, is an outdated thought, but it's not. The Christian is born again to a living hope. And when we know what God has said and live by faith in the promises He has made, it gets pretty hard to be anxious. Things like knowing that He will be with us always, even unto the end of the age, that He will not leave us nor forsake us, that it is His good pleasure to give us the kingdom, that if He began a good work in us, He will bring it to completion, to know that He is our shepherd so that we will never want, to know that He is causing all things to work together for our good. And I could go on and on and on. And that's a very, very small sampling to silence all of the yeah buts and what ifs in our lives. And I would encourage you, I would even exhort you 
as your pastor to purposefully and methodically examine the Bible for the things that God says He will do for those who are His. Now to be sure, hear me say this, the Bible nowhere says that nothing bad will happen to God's people. Quite the opposite actually. Jesus promised that His followers would be hated and killed and Paul said evil men will go from bad to worse. It's not that bad things won't happen. It's just that even in the bad things, we can't be moved from our position in Christ. We're going to look at three different passages from Romans 8 in these application points because it's Romans 8. But we can't overemphasize it enough. In dealing with anxiety, Paul says this in Romans 8, verses 35-39, through "...who shall separate us from the love of Christ?" Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure, for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what does that do to anxiety? It roots me in the eternal hope that the worst that man can do to me cannot in any way move me away from the love of God. And knowing that puts the greatest the absolute greatest trials in our lives in proper perspective. So know what the Word of God says and destroy anxiety with it. It's point one. Like what we see in point two now. Father, we talked about this before and we'll talk about it again. Knowing God as your Father gives you the ability to put your trust in Him. Do not compare your heavenly Father with your earthly Father. However good or however bad, or maybe you didn't even know Him, God's not that. The main thing that placing my faith in God as my Father does, the main thing that it does is that it places the responsibility for my needs squarely on Him. Fathers in this room, it is your responsibility to provide for and protect your wife and your kids, your family. And it's no different in God's kingdom. God, our Father, is not just nice to give us stuff, it is His role to do so. He protects us. He provides for us. And we saw today that He knows that we need food, drink, and clothing. And those are the basic necessities of life. Paul says, 1 Timothy 6, 6-8, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. Hmm. You see the connection between godliness, contentment, and God providing what you bring? Let me redo that. Do you see the connection between godliness contentment, and God providing when you bring that First Timothy passage into the conversation with today's passage in Matthew 6. Seek your Father's kingdom and His righteousness first, which is godliness, and then we see contentment even with the most basic of provisions, what we eat and what we put on. We seek Him, He provides our needs, and we are content. 
Now note again that today's passage is talking about our basic needs, not our treasures, which we looked at last week. God is not saying He'll make you rich. This is not a prosperity gospel. But He is saying, as your Father, He is, here's a big word, obligated to meet our needs if we are seeking Him above all else. Pooh. He knows what we need, and as our Father, He makes it clear that He will take care of us. Now, does that mean that if we're doing God's will that we'll never be hungry, thirsty, or naked? What did we just read in Romans 8? No. As a matter of fact, the same Paul who wrote about being content with food and clothing in 1 Timothy said this when listing his afflictions in 2 Corinthians 11. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. You say, well, then Paul didn't have faith. I'm sure Paul struggled with his faith. You bet he did. Go without eating for a little while. Go without drinking for a little while. And what I'm telling you here today is, your father is going to provide for you. You say, well, he didn't provide for Paul. Did he not? Will our Father provide for us or not? And the answer is unequivocally yes. Because He is our Father and He knows both what we need and what we can handle. Now get a hold of this. As our Father, He is committed to care for us, but He is even more committed to draw us near to Him and make us like our brother, Christ. You see... It's this conformity to the image of Jesus that is our greatest need. And your Father knows that. Romans 8, again, 28-30. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. We have been predestined to be conformed to the image of the Father's Son. And that is our greatest need. And He knows that. And if going hungry makes me more like Jesus, then my Father will allow that. If losing my standing in society makes me more like Jesus, then my Father will allow, I would say, even ordain that. Word, Father, conformed to the image of the Son. Why? It's our last application point, and it's just more. More. M-O-R-E. Please finish with me and hear me say this. There is more to our lives than the humdrum, day-to-day physical existence that we live. Christian, believer, born-again person, God is preparing us for eternity with Him in His presence, made perfect so we can worship Him for eternity with an ever-expanding capacity to know, love, and serve Him. The most nerve-wracking, horrible things in our lives pale in comparison to this truth. And I do not apologize for going back to Romans 8 for a clearer picture of this. Romans 8, 18-25 For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not 
worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Now ponder this with me for just a few seconds. Verse 18 says that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Do you see the juxtaposition there? Suffering now, glory later. And the bad, the suffering, is not worth comparing with the good, the glory. So the glory will be infinitely better than the suffering was bad. Whatever suffering it is. Whatever suffering it is. And yes, as the passage progresses, we see groaning and pains of childbirth and waiting. But at the end of it all is hope. Real, genuine, life-sustaining hope. Not an I hope so kind of hope, but rather I know it and have placed my firm faith in it so that I can wait, for, wait with patience for it. It's a knowing that there is more than the current suffering that carries me through that suffering. Listen to me. It's for a purpose. It's in His plan. And He is my Father. And He knows what I need and has promised that it is all for my good and for His glory. And that good and that glory is the true more that we are living for and that diverts our attention and our anxiety away from the dull day-to-day life that so many of the seven billion plus people on this globe experience. Jesus said in our passage today that there is more to this life than food and drink and clothing. There is more to this life than just living this life. Any minute. And He also said in John 10.10 that He had come that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And back in our passage today, He said to seek that life That good, that glory, that kingdom, that righteousness. He has more for us than eking by, worrying and fretting about what the unbelievers worry about. Let's pray. God, you are able to do exceeding abundantly above anything that we can think or ask. So help us to think and ask and what you do more than that. Help us to put our faith in your word. Help us to know you as Father. And help us to live for more than just what's right in front of us. Thank you, Jesus, for these life-giving words. Now may we use them as powerful swords against the enemy of our souls. And if there be anybody here who does not know Jesus as their great hope, 
Convict them of their sins and show them that there is forgiveness through His sacrifice on the cross, His death, His burial, His resurrection. And may they place their faith in Him and kill anxiety in their lives. We ask for help in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would stand for a benediction, then we're going to ask Brother John to come up and sign his membership covenant. But listen, I, I, I prayed this, but I want you to hear this benediction again. Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.